0: You're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there from New Orleans, Louisiana, Buck, Biloxi, and the Fox in a million years. Their new LP is going to be out soon on Hozak Records. And thank you, Rob Craig from Buck Bloxy and the Fox for that particular track. Great to hear it and great to meet you at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. So again, Buck Biloxi and the Fox in a million years to begin Denard War, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Today on the War the Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Scott Crawford, the director of Salad Days, a movie all about DC punk 1980 to 1990. And the movie Salad Days is actually playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at the Vogue Theatre. You can check it out live tonight the movie Salad Days and if you want to learn more about the movie Salad Days tune in to the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show coming up right now for an interview with Scott Crawford the director of Salad Days a movie all about DC punk rock 1980 to 1990 the movie's playing tonight in Vancouver at the Vogue Theatre and screening across the nations. To prepare you for Scott Crawford, have a whole bunch of DC Punk gonna play for you. And we're gonna begin right now with something by Grey Matter. Grey Matter on the Nardwar the Human Serviette radio show Countdown to Scott Crawford, director of Salad Days. All about DC Punk. Here's Grey Matter. You know, I remember growing up in the suburbs just being totally lost, you know, not really fitting in with my high school buddies. You know, they would go sit in fields and, you know, drink beer and listen to Leonard Skinner and all the, you know, Eagles, late 70s band. It was just, I never felt part of that. Never felt like I fit in anywhere. And all of a sudden there were all these people who were the same mind meeting down in D.C. And you just knew something was going to happen. And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. And we have a caller on the line. Hello, are you there, caller?
1: I'm here. I'm in uh, Asbury Park, New Jersey.
0: And who are you?
1: I'm Scott Crawford. I'm the uh, writer and director of uh, a film called Days,
0: Which is playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at the Vogue Theatre, Scott. Yes, it is. I wish I could be there. What is Salad Days? People in Vancouver and I guess across the nation may be wondering, what is Salad Days? What might they see tonight at the Vogue Theater in Vancouver at 7 p.m.?
1: Well, Salad Days is a documentary film about the DC punk scene in Washington, D.C. in the 1980s. And so it kind of starts, um, you know, in the early part of the, of the decade and kind of runs all the way through. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with that, period, um, bands like the Bad Brains and Minor Threat and Fugazi and Race the Spring and Government Issue, they were all part of that period and uh, obviously very uh, influential bands. And, uh, yeah, so we, we it's, it basically just covers that period and my experience um, as part of that uh, scene as a, as a kid doing a fanzine and then, um, you know, just kind of covering... Things like straight edge, and um, you know, which was a, a movement that really came, well, it did come from from a song that uh, a band called Minor Threat had written, and uh, you know, it, it sort of grew into something much larger, and uh, and we just kind of cover what the music did for kids like me and and for you know dozens of others, and you know, we explore the kind of the, the backdrop of the city at that point, and uh yeah it, it it's a hundred minutes and it's uh it's a blast
0: and speaking of the music, you kept a lot of that close to your heart, Scott, because you sent me a whole bunch of tracks, and I played from the beginning. I was going to ask you about some of the tracks I played Gray Matter. we began with some gray matter
1: yeah, gray matter were um one of my one of my favorites uh they started at around eighty four and they kind of started off as like this um you know they were pretty young and a lot of their songs you know they were uh you know they talked about you know caffeine blues and, and things like that they were kind of humorous kind of fun and, and young and then they kind of evolved into something um much different but but that's that one particular song that I, that I sent you is from that early period and they were just phenomenal phenomenal live band um they let's see they went on to they broke up a few years after that and then they went on to form a band called Three which uh Is the last song that you'll hear in the film. Um, And I won't spoil the rest of it, but it's the last song you'll hear in the film before the credits.
0: And the film Um, is Salad Days playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at the Vogue Theatre. How exciting. Tonight, the Vogue Theatre, Salad Days about DC Punk is playing at the Vogue Theatre. Scott, you've sent me a whole bunch of music. And just quickly going through the music here, right after Grey Matter, we heard Wig Out at Denko's.
1: Right, right, by a band called Dag Nasty, who was... uh, uh, Brian Baker from Minor Threat, uh, right after Minor Threat broke up about a year, year or two later, he, he formed Dag Nasty, and they were one of the bigger bands to come out of, of D.C. At, at that time, and of course, Brian has since gone on to play guitar in Bad Religion, but that's a classic album, Wig Out, Binko's. And right after in, that...
0: Believe, 1987. Right after that, Double Image.
1: Right. That's a band uh, called Marginal Man uh, that put out uh, three albums. Uh, again, another one of my favorites. Um, they were a five-piece, and uh, you know, very uh, introspective lyrics, and uh, you know, really just put it all out there live. They were just an incredible live band.
0: Then six o'clock news.
1: Mm, yeah, that's uh, that was on uh, a compilation on Discord, very early Discord Records uh, release called "Flex Your Head," and uh, that would have been 1981, I believe and that uh, had members of um, uh, Beefeater and actually in, uh, in Marginal Man.
0: And right after that, we heard Boyd speaking, and in Downyard, oh. Downward Christian Soldiers.
1: Oh, yeah, well, Boyd was uh, one of the first bands I ever saw, and uh, you'll see in the film, they were just insane live. I mean, nothing, <laughs> they were like nothing I'd ever seen, uh, or really anything I'd seen since. They were incredible. Um, Downward Christian Soldiers was uh, a song by a band called Black Market Baby who were uh, one of the older, they they were around, uh, they were a couple years older than your, you know, folks like Ian Mackay. Those guys were in their 20s when they were in that band as opposed to Ian and a lot of those, you know, Henry Rollins and those guys who were in their teens, so those guys really looked up to Black Market Baby and uh, they didn't really go on to make a name for themselves like some of the other bands, but... Uh, they were just a uh, phenomenal, classic punk rock band.
0: They did make their name, though, because there was a Vancouver band called the Black Market Babies. Shout out to Billy Hopeless, who had to change their name to the Black Halos because Black Market Babies got mad. I did not know that. Just thought we'd throw it in there. And actually, it wasn't Void that I played. It was Boyd. I guess Boyd from Black Market <laughs> Babies talking about. <laughs> it was a little excerpt from your film. And again, we're speaking here to Scott Crawford, director of Salad Days. Which is playing tonight in Vancouver at the Vogue Theater, and then we ended with my. Well, actually, we didn't end with there, but we had "My Rules" in there.
1: That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm. I'm standing on the beach, and I can uh, make out every other word. But, but yeah, um, "My Rules" was a uh, by Void. That's a classic Void song, and really a classic punk rock song, as, as you can imagine. It's. Uh, and the, the title of the song speaks for itself.
0: And then I played some Slicky Boys, which you did not send me. I played Invisible. <laughs> By- I played Invisible People from 1983. A bit later, mm, nice. Slicky Boys. Nice.
1: Was that on uh, the cybernetic? Was it? Um, it's on a twin. was that on? A
0: twin tone release twin from tone. '83. Twin tone.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: And they had started in 1976 or earlier. Incredible.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they were an amazing, uh, again, um, uh, around before any of these, uh, you know, the hardcore punk bands uh, came around. And they were really instrumental in in getting those bands noticed. I mean, the guitar player, Kim Cain, was a big supporter, and in fact, uh, produced an early Bad Brain session. So, um, you know, very important band.
0: And you're Scott Crawford, director of Salad Days, a movie all about the DC punk scene, playing tonight in Vancouver at the Vogue Theatre and across the nations, and right off the bat, Scott, does anyone think this is a movie about Mac DeMarco? <laughs>
1: um, that's a really good question. You know, uh, if it gets people to go, then no, I can't imagine they would. However, uh, since that is in such heavy rotation right now, um, I, I, maybe it, it piques people's uh, curiosity. But, uh, but, but yeah, it's a great record, Mac DeMarco. It's, it's a great album.
0: Have you pissed off any Mac DeMarco fans? Have they thought it was a Mac DeMarco gig and it was just your movie?
1: I have, yet to get, I have yet to get a note from any pissed off fans, um, and I've gotten plenty of pissed off notes, so I think I would have gotten one by now.
0: And I gave Mac DeMarco, just so you know this, I gave him a Salad Days EP when I interviewed him, just to further ingrain that into the confusion. <laughs> Good for you. Starbucks and J. Crew, they're very important to the DC punk scene, aren't they?
1: <laughs> well, I, no, actually. Um, but they do happen to now uh, occupy the same uh, space that, uh, let's see, for Starbucks, it would be um, what used to be a club called DC Space, which was one of my favorite clubs as a kid. Um, they now uh, occupy that space. J. Crew uh, now occupies the same space as the old 9:30 Club. There. you know, the, the, the club has since moved uh, to a, a larger location. But, but now um, uh, there is the, the facade of the old building. They, they did keep intact. I think they saw it as a historical.
0: Is Haagen-Dazs uh, still there. The famous Haagen-Dazs at Rollins and Mackay worked that. Is it still there? Is there a plaque?
1: That's a great question. There should be. You know, I haven't been in Georgetown in years, so uh I don't I don't know actually. I don't think there is. I, I don't think I mean the real estate there is so out of control that I I I, I doubt they'd still be there.
0: And Scott Crawford, director of Salad Days, how much was it to clear the Ronald Reagan getting shot footage? I thought this was pretty interesting because, you know, Reagan inspired a lot of punk rock, people say, and here you are using a clip of Reagan, and I bet it cost a pretty penny. How much did it cost to clear footage of Ronald Reagan? That would be pretty ironic if it, like, blew the budget just to get that one clip of him getting shot.
1: Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't cheap, but I felt like it was the best way to illustrate um, that that period of time and uh, in, in the most dramatic way, so I felt like it was worth it.
0: It's an interesting video shot. How much was it actually? Can you disclose how much it was to get some footage of Ronald Reagan getting shot in your movie?
1: To be honest, I I'd, I'd, uh, I'd have to go back and look, but it was you know several definitely several thousand dollars. I just don't I don't recall the exact amount, but it was uh, and we had to haggle a lot
0: so. Wow, even basically in heaven, Ronald Reagan is getting the last laugh, isn't he? Absolutely. Now, speaking of video, photos. The movie, Days, amazing photos. That's Jim Saw's photos. Have they been used in many documentaries before? Like, they're incredible. Have they been seen or used before?
1: Not really, not really. And that's why, you know, I've known Jim since I was a kid, as you'll see in the film. Um, but his photos, to me, were so iconic and so, um, just told the story of, of what was happening at, at, at that time. I mean, they're not to sound too, um, you know, dramatic about it, but, you know, they remind me of those photos that you could see of, like, John Coltrane or Billie Holiday with the smoke, the cigarette smoke, you know, in the, uh, I think it was Lee Tanner, I can't remember the specific photographer, in the uh, 50s and 60s or 40s um his photos were sort of the equivalent to me as a kid so to have them in the film was essential and uh and to have him on board for the film um early on was you know i couldn't have done it without him so yeah now his photography is, is
0: beautiful you also had some heavy metal parking lot action jeff krulik gave you footage heavy metal parking lot i don't did he give me footage Heavy Metal Parking Lot? How did he contribute? Well, he did Heavy Metal Parking Lot. That's what I meant. You know, Jeff Krulick.
1: How- oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Jeff was, uh is a, gr- is a great guy, uh, great filmmaker who's, who's local in, in the D.C. area and, of course, is you know, known for doing Heavy Metal Parking Lot, which I still love today and, and watch all the time. Um, yeah, he helped with, uh, to, help to track down some footage of, of D.C. Uh, back in the 80s and, uh, uh, you know, some of the, I believe it was some of the street footage that you see of, uh, uh, I think it's midway through the film when we're talking about uh, kind of the crime and just trying to paint a picture of what the city was like at that point. And I believe that uh, he helped us track down some of that footage for that part.
0: The movie, Salad Days, playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at the Vogue Theatre, speaking here to Scott Crawford, the director of Salad Days, all about DC Punk, is so in-depth. I love that it's so in-depth. Like, it is so in-depth, you even have pictures of Ian Mackay wearing a smoking jacket on stage.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was meant to be ironic, but yes, I do. Yeah, I mean, we, we, I, mean I worked on this thing for almost, almost four years, um, literally every day of my life, somehow, was spent working on this film. So, um, you know, tracking down photos, I was really interested in in getting photos that had never been seen before, um, and and just capturing, um, you know, just the human side of of a lot of these um, personalities that we've, you know, have become in some ways larger than life over the years, so.
0: And you also got Ian to be in the documentary because lately there's been a lot of talk about how many documentaries Ian of Fugazi Minor Threat has been in. How many interviews for documentaries was Ian doing when you talked to him?
1: That I'm aware of, uh, I think there may have been one or two. I think there may have been two others. But he still has not reached the Henry Rollins level of uh, documentary appearances.
0: And how hard was it to get Henry Rollins? Was he totally into it, or did you have to go through his people? Henry,
1: um, it took a few years to, to get Henry, and um, I think it was worth it. I mean, he, he's a, <clears throat> he tells a great story, you know, he's a great storyteller. And uh,
0: What was the thing that sold him on it? Like, it took a couple of years. What was the one thing that sold him on it?
1: Um, I think just the persist. you know, we were just persistent. And um, I think he started to see maybe that, you know, there was maybe some buzz starting with the film and, and you know, we weren't just a bunch of, you know, like it was actually going to be a real thing. And, you know, so, um, but he was really uh, important to get just to describe that early part of the 80s. And, um, and he told it so well, I thought.
0: What politicians have punk sons or daughters? Like you mentioned Marginal Man who he played earlier on an Adult right. Human Soviet Radio show. Kenny from Marginal Man's dad is a politician, right?
1: He, well, he's he's uh no longer with us, but yes, he was a uh senator from uh, Senator Inoue from Hawaii. Uh one of the longest serving senators ever. Um a Democrat. Uh and there were a number of other uh you know folks uh, Andre Lee from Marginal Man his at least his uncle was uh high up in the South Korean government um you know there were a number of uh folks uh, Ivor Hansen uh from a band called the Faith and Embrace um his father was you know very high up in the in the, in the military um you know when the faith would practice they would have to go through you know the Secret Service, to get to their practice space, you know, because it was on base. So, yeah, you know, it's just, it's it's really, it's such an interesting city to have as a backdrop against, you know, this music that was just, uh, you know, happening. It was just exploding at the time, but uh, it was interesting to study, to examine some of that in the film, which you'll see, uh, just the kind of socio-political backgrounds and a lot of the People that were making the music at that point, point.
0: and you can check out the film tonight at the Vogue Theater. It's Solid Days, all about DC Punk. Did you try to find any of the punk beaters in Camaros to interview? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I would have loved to have found. It. In fact, I should have gone back. I should have asked Jeff Kulik, maybe in Heavy Metal parking lot. Uh, I bet some of the people from that film probably were uh, uh, some of the uh, guilty of, 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 uh, of you know beating up the punk rock kids uh, in the early days, but. Um, but no, I, I unfortunately was not able to round up any of them.
0: It's interesting, though, there were these punk beaters, and yet some punks were used as bait. Like Alec Mackay McKay was used as bait.
1: Right. Yeah, they would. So um, basically, the way Ian tells it in the story, I don't want to give too much away in the film, but he, um, you know, they were getting. This was 1980, yeah, 1980, 1981. Um, you know, they had shaved heads, they were getting picked on. And. and this was in Georgetown, which is a, a part of D.C. that has Georgetown University as well as uh, it's close to a military base. So you would have, you know, um, Marines coming in, you know, on the weekends to party in the bars. And you'd have, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the preppies from Georgetown University would, you know, would, you know, mess with, with uh, guys like Ian and Henry and stuff like that. So, yeah, so uh, it got to the point where, you know, they were getting harassed so much that they figured at, at some point they just said, like, no, we're gonna fight back. We're not gonna just get our ass kicked every night. We're gonna fight back and, and uh that was kind of a turning point I think. But but yeah, uh Alex Mackay was one of the youngest of that crowd and, and they, they would use him as bait occasionally to uh to to try and draw all these guys out. Of course it never happened, but they tried.
0: The movie Days, Point Tonight in Vancouver at the Vogue Theatre also talks about Limp Records. I find that fascinating. I never knew anything about Limp Records. Skip Groff, he did Pentagram and he also did That's like right. Tina Peel that had Rudy yep. and Deb from the Fuzztones, like early Fuzztone members. And then right. he did stuff with Pentagram and then it ties into Minor Threat. Yes. Well,
1: um, first of all, Limp, it's a great name, Limp. It was a kind of a, a joke and uh, a reference to Stiff's records at the time uh, out of England. Um, but yeah, he, uh, you know, Stiff, uh, Stiff Skip, uh, ran a record store called Yesterday and Today Records. And it was the place to go if you wanted to get import singles from the UK or, for, or wherever. And uh, a lot of that early punk stuff, you know, he would go over to England every couple months and just bring back just tons of, like, really obscure British punk stuff and uh, it just became a place to hang out and in fact Ian MacKay later went on to work there as well as Brendan Canty and Dee Picciotto and all kinds of other um, you know DC punk band members it was kind of a place to work um, and, and yeah but before he did that he, he had a label called Limp and uh, you know he also produced an early Bad Brain session so and he was the one that introduced Ian MacKay to an engineer named Don Ziantara who ran Ear Studios, and which is the studio that almost every Discord record ever put out has been recorded in. So, yeah, it was the start of a long, long relationship.
0: Scott Crawford, director of Salad Days, playing tonight in Vancouver at the Vogue Theater. Salad Days helped coin some new terms. Some new terms were coined from your movie, Bent Edge and Monk Rock.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I don't think either one of them really caught on, but um uh Bent Edge was kind of a joke uh in and uh, a reaction to, to straight edge. Um and it was really created by the Boyd Farrell from Black Market Baby, who was a band known for uh, I mean, their crowd was it was a pretty rowdy crowd and um they were known as a huge, you know, big drinkers. So, um yeah, it, it was just kind of a joke. It didn't really, you know, take hold at all and as far as monk rock i think that was just a a john stab original john stab from the singer of government issues a real character in himself uh he uh yeah he sort of coined that phrase but uh yeah i don't think it got a lot of traction
0: <laughs> i also learned that brian baker coined the term emo core brian baker that's emo back. core that's true right yeah. eh? that was the yeah one... um No, I was going to say, that was a revelation to me. Just like when Thurston Moore said, fucking change the scene.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, There's there's so many funny moments um, throughout the film, and it was just, to me, it was just um, important to have those in there because so many people over the years said, like, oh, the DC scene back then, like, they just lacked a sense of humor. They took themselves too seriously. And, you know, there's some truth in that. But certainly... um, you know there's, there's plenty of humor to be found and uh and yeah brian baker um just it just did not you know when that when bands like Right to spring and embrace and gray matter um uh started to change their musical direction a bit and you know the lyrics became very introspective and and very poetic um and their show- their live shows were pretty intense and you know it wasn't unusual to fuck to see people crying you know. When the sets were over, so Brian, for whatever reason, Baker just didn't—it just didn't uh, didn't resonate with Brian, and and he kind of came up with this term like, "Oh, great, emo core," you know, like it's emotional hardcore.
0: Scott, uh, for uh, for for salad days, did you find stuff not on YouTube? Did you find any stuff not on YouTube? Because there's so much on YouTube these days did you find any stuff not on YouTube? And if you did find stuff on YouTube, did you actually take it right from YouTube and put it into your film, like download it right from YouTube?
1: No. No, no, no. That would be, um, that, that's like a, a lawsuit waiting to happen. Now, um, I, for the, I mean, some of the stuff in the film is, is on YouTube. Um, however, some of the later period stuff in the film, like Fugazi and Holy Rollers and Side and some of these other bands, um, a lot of that I'd never seen before, and so it, it, it didn't appear anywhere. Um, the Fugazi, a lot of the Fugazi footage Jim saw had actually shot himself and had forgotten he had shot it until we were start working on the film. Um, so uh, a lot of that stuff is, 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 um, will be new to everyone.
0: You also have some footage of minor threat in Canada. I'm pretty sure yeah. it's Winnipeg. It's actually in Winnipeg they're performing.
1: I think you're right, yep.
0: Are you going to correct that?
1: What does it say on the film? This is say m- Vancouver?
0: No, it says Minor Threat Canada. I guess I was hoping you would say Minor Threat Winnipeg.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Oopsies. Okay, I'll make sure to change that.
0: Have people pointed um, out stuff like that to you? Am I being thank a, you for that. Am I being a jerk for mentioning that? What is, proper, <laughs> what is proper etiquette when addressing a director? Do you like to have these things addressed or not really?
1: No, no, it's the kind of stuff I actually lose sleep over, so I'm glad you told me. So I will uh, make sure that's corrected for the DVD.
0: Was there any Holy Grail footage you couldn't find? Like, Holy Grail stuff you had heard of, video footage, but you couldn't find, but maybe is out there?
1: None, really, that I'm aware I mean, none that I'm aware of. There, there was some stuff at the very last minute that made its way into the film that may not have been the Holy Grail, necessarily, but it was stuff that... I had never seen before, like, uh, the B eater footage and, um, uh, and a few other things that I was really excited about just because it was something, you know, they were bands that I just, I felt like were under, um, uh, underreported or, you know, sort of, you know, just didn't have that kind of, you know, uh, document of their live show. And so when I found it, I was pretty excited, but no, there wasn't really, I mean, People really opened their vaults and they really opened their scrapbooks and their, you know, and their whatever and, and really uh, were very giving and, and, and um, open with, with, the, with the stuff that they had kept through the years.
0: There's some great footage there as well. We're speaking here to Scott Crawford, director of Salad Days, playing tonight in Vancouver at the Vogue Theatre, all about DC punk rock, 80 to 90. Amazing footage of Void, and I love the way you can see the drummer wearing a Wild Style t-shirt. He's wearing a Wild Style, one of the greatest movies, t-shirt. I thought that was really cool.
1: Yeah, those guys were insane. And the the singer, I believe in that clip, was wearing like Adidas shorts that were really high. Adidas shorts, but they were so you know, that was something so out of the 80s and, um, you know, something that you would see Henry Rollins wearing. Um, but yeah, no, those guys were were uh, were great. And like it says in the film, they they didn't really look the part, you know?
0: He could really jump, they, though. Boy, could he jump, that yeah. singer. He was really jumping. Uh, were there any... I mean, I... Story? No, go ahead. Did he jump over you? Because you were quite small then, Scott. I mean, you've grown up, but you were really small. Did he jump over oh, you? Well,
1: anyone could have jumped over me, yeah.
0: Was there any advantages to being small at a punk gig?
1: Oh, sure, yeah. Um, well, first of all, it's one of the reasons I can't, I still uh, can't hear a damn thing today is because when you're that small and you're that young, they, the bands would just let you up on stage because I couldn't see anything. You know, so I would sit up on stage and I, you know, I had a great, you know, I could see everything. And, but yet I was right next to the monitors. So my ears would ring for days, and uh, but yeah, no, that was great. And you know, I was always like the crazy kid doing backflips and stuff. So um, uh, you know, all of that was uh, certainly an advantage. And I, you know, th- um, I I think I got probably some sympathy from <laughs> from the bands and stuff just because I was so young and so earnest and so kind of like um, driven and. Um, you know, obsessed with with the music, and so, you know, maybe in some way, you know, I was able... That opened up some doors that maybe I wouldn't have been able to have gotten open.
0: Were there any bombshells, hashtag breaking news items, in the movie Salad Days? Were there any bombshells? Um, Not
1: any that made it into the final uh, film.
0: I would say there was. Bombshell, hashtag breaking news, quote... I want to do a deal with you like I did with Mick.
1: That's pretty great, isn't it?
0: What can you tell the people about that, Scott Crawford?
1: Well, uh, what what you're referencing there is uh, Ian McKay from Fugazi is um, at the tail end of the film um, is discussing... I just wanted to kind of get a snapshot of what the climate in the 90s was as Nirvana was exploding. And, um, you know, Fugazi was a band from D.C. And... um, they were, uh, you know, a part of, of that explosion. And so uh, the president of Atlantic uh, approached Ian after a show, and, you know, all the security guards came in, and they closed the doors, and they said, uh, you know, I'm Erdogan from Atlantic is coming, you know. And he comes in, and he, he says to Ian, he says, look, uh, you guys are great. you just sold out Roseland. He's like, I want to do a deal with you like I did with Nick. And uh as Ian describes in the film, he's just like, Mix, who's Mick? Oh, Mick Jagger. Okay, I got it. And so you know, of course Ian i I'm sure politely declined, but um but yeah, and that was just a kind of a great way to illustrate just the 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 insanity of of that time and the kind of feeding frenzy that was was going on out there
0: how does that get a reaction when the film plays like you've probably been to quite a few screenings and there's a screening tonight in Vancouver 7pm at the Vogue Theatre what sort of reaction does that get versus when Fred Armisen comes on what's the reaction to when Fred Armisen's face pops up on the screen
1: (laughs) well they both get laughs Um, usually but it's funny with Fred people just start laughing before he even says anything and whereas with, you know, of course with Ian, it's, they wait for the punchline, but but uh, Fred just immediately makes people laugh. Uh, even just, just the look, you know, just his face just makes people laugh. So it's interesting to watch that every, every screening I go to. It's kind of a similar reaction.
0: It's weird that Minor Threat's last show was in a condemned department store? In a department store?
1: Right. Yeah, it was um, Landsberg Cultural Center, um, and it was in the basement of a uh, like a department store. And, uh, you know, at that point, you know, there weren't, there was really only one or two clubs that were um, home to, to punk rock shows in D.C. And so you kind of had to just create, just like today, in, you know, cities all over the world, you have to kind of create your own space. And, and then, in Williamsburg, had a couple shows, I think maybe three or four, and, and that happened to be one of them. And, I went to one of them and yeah, the ceilings were really low and there was no stage. Uh, so yeah, it was really bizarre. And the acoustics were horrible. Um, but yeah, that was their, uh, that was their last show.
0: And Scott Crawford, director of Salad Days. How long did it take to get Dave Grohl to be in the movie? Did you have to explain to his people what punk rock was?
1: (laughs) Actually, with, with Dave Grohl, I lucked out because, um, Uh, I'd known Dave since I was about 13, and we used to go to shows together as kids. So, and we kind of kept in touch over the years. So it wasn't, I just reached out to him directly. It wasn't that difficult to do. Once I told him, you know, what I was working on, he was on board right away. So uh, that wasn't too difficult.
0: How about Guy from Fugazi? Guy uh,
1: was just not interested in, in being a part of the film.
0: How about odorus Urungus from Guar, rest in peace? Did you think about speaking to him at all? Because he was on this scene back then, wasn't he?
1: Well, is from Richmond. I mean, there's certainly like a Richmond-DC connection, but, I, you know, they were never really central to the storyline, uh, at least in my mind, uh, in the 80s. I think that was more of a, you know, 90s, like early 90s and, and, and beyond.
0: The film is produced by New Rose Films. It says, New Rose Films, the film Salad Days, speaking to Scott Crawford, the director of Salad Days, New Rose Films, is that an influence of how on the damned, of the damned influence Washington, D.C.? Because didn't the damned have a big influence on Washington, D.C.? Is that why you called it New Rose Films?
1: Yeah, you nailed it. Yep, that's, that's exactly what it was. And, you know, um, for whatever reason... Uh, and i think it goes back to skip Groff's record store where he would go over to england and bring these you know 45s back um people in dc love the dance they also love uk subs and Chan 69 but the dance there was just something special about the dance uh in this town and uh and yeah so when i started to think of a production company i just felt like you know new ro- i don't know new roads just clicked for me so
0: did revolution summer allow slam dancing
1: no Not really. In fact, I mean, it was really why it kind of started to begin with. It was a reaction to the kind of um, violence that um, was happening at that point, and not just DC, but I think in in a lot of other major cities. You had to, you know, the music, the media was paying more attention to this stuff, right? So, you know, when you when when it starts to show up on Quincy and Chips and all these shows in the in the eighties you start to get more and more kids start to become curious and they when their only reference point is these things that they're seeing on TV, they don't know that it's not cool to come in and just start, you know, slamming into people, uh, mindlessly. So it was really kind of a reaction to that. It was kind of like discussion I think it was you know, that took place where it's like, okay, this isn't really working for us anymore. Like this isn't you know Kind of why we're doing this We don't You know We want this music To be meaningful We want folks to Stop and maybe just Take a breath And and listen And watch And enjoy You know Obviously love the music But You know The the slam dancing thing Just became so I remember um, Seeing Bad Brains uh, Late 80s Maybe 87 88 And I remember Dr. No Came out on the stage And he Strummed a chord And people started Slam dancing Um so it, it really it uh, it was you know it wasn't a reaction to the music anymore necessarily it was just kind of a, an excuse to be kind of an idiot so that was kind of what that was all about and so um, yeah so slam dancing yeah I mean if you were at a right to spring show and someone started slam dancing eh wasn't really tolerated you know so.
0: Scott Crawford, director of Salad Days, the Washington Post had a headline story a while back, rival DC punk documentaries, Race to the Big Screen.
1: Yes, that's right, it did. Yeah, I think that was over the summer. Yeah, there's um, there's another film uh, being worked on, and I think that focuses more on the, the uh, late 70s, early 80s um, uh, part of the, of the scene. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it, but, but uh, but yeah, I'm sure I'm sure
0: it's going to be great. Punk to capital, and I was curious. At your screenings, have people come forward that you wished you could have interviewed or given you little tidbits, even films and stuff? Who's come out to some of the screenings? Because I know you got like Chuck Dukowski to come out to one of the screenings. Right. Who's come out to the screenings? And have people told you any interesting little stuff? Are people selling records? Will there be records for sale tonight at the Vogue Theater in Vancouver where Salad Days screens? Like
1: yeah. Unfortunately there will not be but um yeah you know i think uh keith morris came out um at our la screening and introduced the film Chuck Dukowski, um number of other folks across the country um have come out and and and, and hosted the sh- the shows i you know one of the reasons i reached out to these folks is because um i just i wanted to show how far reaching this scene was and and um and it's always interesting to hear People that were, you know, playing in bands or on the road or whatever at that point, um, talk about their impressions of DC in the '80s and their take on it, especially from cities like you know New York or, or LA or Chicago. So, so that's 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 the reason behind behind that.
0: Also, I noticed there's a DC Punk Archive at the DC Public Library, like a punk archive, and also University of Maryland has like punk fanzine collection punk is big business in dc this is incredible
1: it's it's uh yeah it's it's great and i think you know some of that might have to do with the fact that you know dc is the home to the Smithsonian and the library of congress i mean this is what we do you know so um it's great to see this stuff being archived and and being recognized for what it was um my fanzine um that i did is in the university of maryland fanzine archive um and you know it's um no, I, I love it. I, I, I love to see this stuff being um, archived and documented and, and, um, and being represented. It's, it's wonderful.
0: How about Ian Mackay's personal stash of stuff? In the movie, you have, I think, Ian Mackay's bus ticket that he used with the Teen Idols to go out to L.A. to play the Fab Ma- in San Francisco. He still has like his bus, his bus pass, the bus ticket. That's incredible. Is that from his own archives? How much stuff does he have?
1: That was from his own archive, yeah. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, when midway through the film, he emailed me a scan... Uh, he had scanned the letter, the first letter that I ever wrote to him as a kid. This was 1983, 84, and he had kept it. So, and it, you know, it didn't say anything all that special. So, you know, uh, obviously the guy's got <laughs> a treasure trove of, you know, uh, he's got just... You know, could probably fill an auditorium all of the stuff that he's, that he's archived. so.
0: What other fan letters did he have in there? Were there some interesting fan letters from other people? Like, some people became politicians. Are there any punks that are politicians right now in D.C.? Uh, I
1: can't think of any. Um, I got to think on that, but, but no, he didn't share any other fan letters with me, but, you know, so many people, I I mean, I spoke with uh, over a hundred people, you know, during the course of the film, and. So many of them said, "Oh yeah, I wrote this one." In fact, Jay Masters talks about it in the film. Like, "Oh yeah, I wrote this letter to Ian and blah blah blah." You know, so I, I, think, I think a lot of people have. Well, I mean, that was just. But again, to put it in proper context, that was, uh, I mean, that's just how you did things. I mean, you wrote a letter. You know, you, there was you know, you didn't write an email. You wrote a letter. You, you know, so, um, so yeah, um, there was uh, there were a few of those throughout the you know, uh, that I discovered throughout the course of the film. But no, Ian didn't care any particular fan letters with me other than mine.
0: And winding up here with Scott Crawford, director of Salad Days, a movie all about DC punk, playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. The Vogue Theatre at 7pm. Was there any collector scam moment in the film that you got extra stuff from? Basically, what I mean is this. I know Mike Lavelle. I don't know if you know Mike Lavelle. Did Gearhead magazine, wrote for Flipside, was the singer for Half-Life out of Pittsburgh, yeah. I think. And he said he was friends with Danzig In the early days, not too early, but in a time when Danzig was having lots of friends. And one time, Mike went over to Danzig's house and Danzig said, hey, kid, what T-shirt do you want? And he opened up a closet and it was every single, like, original Misfits handmade T-shirt. And Mike could pick whatever one he wanted. Can you imagine not that? Bad. From Glenn Danzig's own collection. Did you have a moment like that in the film where you could get some rare item like that? Because that sounds like you yeah. might have had the opportunity.
1: Not really. I mean, I, uh, there were a few, a few things that I was able to at least hold in my hand. Uh, I wasn't able to keep, but some pretty cool stuff. Um, but no, I didn't, I didn't really walk away with any kind of. You know, I'm not, that's not really my personality. Be, you know, so I, I, there wasn't a moment where I went, holy. Oh, my God, I'm holding the test pressing of the, you know, Teen Idol, you know, it's just not really my thing. But, but uh, but no, I was able to, like I said, uh, so many of the people in the film opened up their their, their scrapbooks and things to me and uh, saw some pretty great stuff.
0: Your soundtrack also has a connection to Frontline. To Frontline? Frontline, the TV series. That's a pretty serious TV series, Scott. I'm not aware of this. You'll have to... Enlighten me. I, I, don't, I don't know anything about that. Michael Hampton. What is it again? Michael Hampton, who did your soundtrack.
1: Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. Yes, Mike Hampton did the soundtrack. Mike Hampton was the guitar player for, gosh, for SOA, The Face, Embrace, um, One Last Wish. Oh,
2: good.
1: Um, and, uh, yeah, and I asked him to do the soundtrack, and, uh, and he did, and he did a beautiful job.
0: And he's done stuff for Frontline as well. Frontline!
1: Yes, he has. He's done all kinds of things. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't get the connection, but yes.
0: I wanted also to end her conversation, Scott, with a song by White Boy that you sent me. What well, can you tell the people about White Boy? This is a very interesting track from 1977.
1: I thought you might get a kick out of that. Yeah, they were free, discord free black Market Baby. They were a two-piece Father and son duo. Um and they were great. Like it was, you know, really trashy kind of cramped style um you know, punk rock. Uh, and uh, you know, it was uh it's good stuff and they're they're in the film. They're they're uh there's two or three of their songs are in the sound are on the soundtrack.
0: And apparently it's the first punk rock record that Ian MacKay ever bought because I think it was one of the brothers of the guy in the band sold the record to Ian at a high school. Like that was Ian's first punk single, right?
1: That sounds about right. Would not surprise me.
0: White Boy coming up to end my interview here with Scott Crawford, director of Salad Days, playing tonight in Vancouver at 7 p.m. at the Vogue Theatre. And if people can't make it tonight, I know they should check it out tonight in Vancouver at 7 p.m. Will it be available anywhere else? Are you going to go Netflix? How are people going to check this yeah. out down the line?
1: That's right. This summer, uh, it'll be at the end of the summer, it'll be out on DVD and we'll be hitting uh, video on demand. I'm also doing uh, a number of other Canadian... Um, screenings as well as a film festival that i can't announce yet um, in canada but uh but yeah it's going to be out there and you're also going to do a book too yeah there's a companion book that'll be out in the fall
0: and lastly i was curious scott five years you worked on this five 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 years how much did editing change in that time like editing programs did you have a problem because like five years editing what, what sort of physical problems did you have to make the movie
1: Mm, not too much, I mean you know there were software updates and things like that but but no i mean it was uh, pretty intense you know but uh but so many changes and so many versions but uh we you know i would say in the last six months we really got closer to 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 where we wanted to be and you know it took a lot of fine tuning and a lot of cutting and like that but uh, ultimately we're pretty happy
0: when ian mckay is on saturday night live with fear does he really yell into the mic that new york sucks did you hear that did he yell yes to- he really does yes, yell. Does. N- ian mckay yells new york sucks into the mic <laughs> yes Verify- it's
1: on, uh, check it out it's, it's
0: on youtube Ver- verified by scott crawford well thanks so much for phoning in to the nordward human survey radio show here today scott your movie salad- your movie salad days in vancouver tonight right that's right really so it really to is it tonight 7pm at the Vogue Theatre and we're going to check out White Boy right now here from 1977 anything else you want to add to the people out there about the movie Scott
1: um, you know check it out tonight if you can let us know what you think and uh, you know uh, it's going to be touring the world uh, in the coming months so um, thanks for having me and
0: yeah why should people care about salad days why should people care
1: Oh, I mean,
0: uh, do you have all night? Okay, baboom! Well, thanks so much, Scott. Keep on rocking in the Thank free you. world and doo doo do, doo do. doo. Do? What's this stuff on
1: your plate? Eat thanks it so much. Up.
2: That's why I said we should act the Disco Elephant. 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 To this
0: And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard right there, a little white boy with I Could Puke from 1977, some very early DC punk. And before that, an interview with Scott Crawford, director of the movie Salad Days, which is playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at the Vogue Theatre. You can check it out tonight at the Vogue Theatre at 7 p.m. And right now, going to play something by Lou Reed. Lou Reed from his Pickwick era, when he was a songwriter with John Kale for Pickwick Records, he wrote a whole bunch of songs for a whole bunch of bands and performed under a whole bunch of band names. Going to hear right now from the Soundsville compilation, Pickwick Records, 1964, The Roughnecks, You're Driving Me Insane. This is pre-V-U, Lou Reed, The Roughnecks, You're Driving Me Insane, on The Nardwar The Human Serviette Radio Show. You're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard right there from the amazing It's Trash record label out of London, Ontario, Excel Sour with pornos. And they also are from London, Ontario. And before that, first base on the amazing It's Trash. Record label from London, Ontario. First base are from Toronto with If I See You With That Girl Again. And before that, also on It's Trash Records from London, Ontario, we heard Battle Wolf from Waterloo, Ontario with I Don't Want to Touch Your Dick. And to begin that set, we heard the Heart Attack Kids from London, Ontario with Platonic Love. Platonic love, platonic love bomb. Also on it's trash records. You can check a lot of this stuff out at itstrashrecords.bandcamp.com. They have an amazing compilation out here called The Marshmallow Generation and thank you it's trash records for sending me The records, and I know that you sent them to me because they smell like cigarettes, and only cigarette induced London, Ontario, wet waved CHRW type music would smell like this. So thanks again to It's Trash Records for all those tunes we just heard right there. And we began we began that set with a little thing by the Band called The Roughnecks, You're Driving Me Insane, which was Lou Reed, pre VU, and gonna end the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show with another song from that compilation, the Soundville compilation from 1964, pre VU as well. We're gonna hear the High Lifes with Cycle Annie. So this is Lou Reed again, rocking out on that compilation record. Of course, nobody knew what was gonna happen probably a couple months later, but that money gave him the motivation to keep rocking on. He also has another single from 1958. That wasn't when he was like on staff, I don't think, at a record company. I think that was just when he just did it because he was young, but from 58. Did not realize that. So right now, here's good old Lou Reed. Did I say Neil Young? Well, here's Lou Reed. I get them all mixed up. Here's Lou Reed from 1964 with Cycle Annie, and this is from the High Lifes. That's the name of his band at the time from the Soundsville compilation on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show! you better watch
3: out,